Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue, Daniel Gallon, Mark Brennan, Tyler Calvaruso. It's an all-hands-on-deck kind of Monday here at Lions247.com. It's the first Monday of September, Labor Day. Hopefully a lot of you are enjoying some time off. Uh, not exactly a day off around here when we're less than 48 hours away from the opening kickoff of the 2023 Penn State football season. A ton of content since that game went final on Saturday night, including one of our post-game podcasts. Hopefully you caught that. Deep into Saturday night, early into Sunday, Daniel and I sat down coming out of Beaver Stadium for close to an hour, covered a ton of what we saw from Penn State against West Virginia in a 38-15 to victory. We'll find out if the number seven Nittany Lions are moving up in the poll when those top 25s come out with a midweek release. We still have more games to get to on Sunday. we got Clemson and Duke playing later on a Monday. But as week one comes to a close, the Nittany Lions in good shape. Let's talk about it with Daniel and Mark right now. And I think the important thing I like to do, at least on these Monday episodes, Mark, is we, we don't hear from you on the post-game podcast. You're busy away with our photo galleries, your grades, your takeaways, all the other stuff that people have already seen up at lines247.com. But we've got you on now. The dust has settled it a little bit. 1-0. Everyone's talking about Drew Aller. Would you like to join the party? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the coaching staff, uh, James Franklin, Mike Yursich, and everybody they did a really nice job setting him up for success. A lot of people were wondering if they would rely kind of super heavily on the um, on the on the run game, and I don't think they did that. I mean, I think that they put him in positions uh, against a defense that was doing some stuff that was trying to trick him uh, to make decisions and gave him the opportunity to be successful. And by and large, he was. And I think that just bodes well for them moving forward. Listen, we know what Nick Singleton is about. We know what Catron Allen is all about. I'm perfectly fine with those guys getting 13 and 10 uh, carries respectively. You know, could you have gone 20 and 20? Sure. I think you could have, and I think they would have done well in the running game, but I, you, you don't need that in that game. And you're keeping those guys fresh. Talking to Singleton after the game, he was completely fine with it. He knows that this is a marathon. This isn't a sprint. He knows that there are going to be there are going to be times in October and November in tight games when they're going to need to be able to to grind it out in the run game, and uh, this wasn't it. Now, with having said that, it wasn't. I mean, they actually ran more times than they threw. I think it was thirty-five to to, to thirty something in that range. Uh, so it wasn't as if they just went you know crazy uh, throwing the ball. The other thing I liked, and I didn't realize this until I was going through the stats after the game. According to the official stats, 
Drew Aller only threw the ball more than 20 yards once, and that was on his second completion, the 72-yard catch and run by Keandre Lambert-Smith. Now, what is that telling you? That's telling you that he was making quick decisions against what was zero cover at points and picking that defense apart. It also tells you that when it comes to arm strength, it's not always about throwing a 70-yard pass. What, what you see in Drew Aller is the ability to capitalize on his unbelievable arm strength in the medium and short ranges. I watched enough football over the weekend to see quarterbacks trying to throw quick outs with horrendous results. And with Drew Aller, man, he was throwing laser beams in these short and medium zones. And for again, for everybody wants to talk about this guy has such a big arm. It's not only throwing the bomb. This guy's going to pick you apart. And we, we see it when we're on the field at practice. I don't know if people understand the heat that that ball is coming in with. And I give the receivers a lot of credit for, for, for being able to catch those things. So those are just kind of some of my thoughts about Aller in, in, in general and thought that the coaching staff just put him in a really good spot to be successful early because they're going to need him throughout the season, obviously. The defensive backs on this team are well aware of the velocity that, that Drew Aller can uh, generate. You wrote about it in those uh, pregame yeah. notes that, that popped up on Friday morning at lines247.com, just about how the feedback we got was, yes, there were interceptable passes uh, out there in the preseason, but they weren't being plucked by this really strong defensive back. And, and a big part of that, that reason was the velocity on these balls. And again, James Franklin saying uh, two interceptions at what we heard from Kalen King, two interceptions during the preseason, no interceptions for the first dozen or so preseason practices. And now he's got an 11 game sample size at the power five football level. Obviously his most extensive action took place on Saturday, but still no turnovers dinged against Drew Aller. That's, that's pretty impressive stuff through 11 appearances. He's got eight touchdowns now along the way. Piggy, piggybacking off of something you said there, the fact that he didn't chuck on the field to work his way towards 325 yards. Daniel, there was a point in this game where I, I believe he was rolling initially toward the right side of the pocket and turned around uh, and found, I don't know who it was, but found someone about 10 yards down the sidelines. But it was a 10-yard pickup, but it was on the opposite end of the field. And it just got there in such a hurry that no defender could react in time. Uh, the, the, the receiver was brought down within a yard or two, but just the ability to get the football, to transport the football from point A to point B in that kind of a manner. Again, maybe we were all kind of thinking fireworks downfield 50 yards through the air, but this is the physics of it. When you have a five-star quarterback talent who has the brain to get it done, it looked different when you actually watched the football being played and, and from the press box. And I'd imagine for a lot of fans out there, whether they were in the seats or watching on their televisions. James Franklin has talked about how Drew Aller makes the defense defend the entire 53 and a third or however you know, wide the field is. And I think that was really on display when you talk about Penn State not really leaning on the running game so much and using these short passes. I think that Aller's arm strength and the ability to get the ball out on those quick screens to the outside. I know that his first completion was to Keandre Lambert Smith um, on the left side. He also had, I think, a nine-yard gain to Tyler Warren out to the left side early in the game. Um, you know, the old extension of the running game cliche there. Um, you know, I think that that shows another aspect of, of what Drew Aller can bring. Because um, we've seen it in the past, I think, in the first two years under Mike Yersich, where you know, those quick screens and, and such are part of his offense. Um, I did think that the one play to Liam Clifford, that middle screen, was a wrinkle that we hadn't seen. 
um, I think in the first two years under your sitch. So, you know, I think that, yeah, I mean, going into Saturday, I thought that we would see some, some true bombs uh, from Drew Aller. But when I was looking at the, uh, you know, the distribution chart uh, on PFF yesterday, I, I was kind of surprised that we didn't, there weren't as many deep passes, but you, know, you think about what West Virginia was doing, trying to force Drew Aller into quick decisions. Um, and then I think it also speaks to the ability of, guys like especially Trey Wallace, you know, to get open, to be available uh, in that mid range. Um, Mark, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but I referred to it as he had a, a Parker Washington type stat line, yeah. you know, the seven for 72, just being there. I'm sure he'll break one at some point. Um, but I think that we really saw how Aller was in sync with his receivers um, and they were both really helping each other out there. And, and with Aller, that, that distribution was a big proponent of, of, of what we heard during preseason camp, a guy who's not afraid to, to share the ball. He's not locking into guys. And that was on display here in, in the first game. I mean, look, going back to the tight end and running back performances, we addressed this in, in, in post game, and this is not a criticism on, on either of those rooms. It's just those were the results on Saturday. Um, Singleton and Allen uh, combined for their lowest rushing total uh going all the way back they were around 120 yards combined in this game you got to go all the way back to that loss to michigan last october <laughs> the, the last time they went fewer they had about 40 combined rushing yards in, in, in ann arbor that day but uh you know they were getting you know 150 plus yards per game pretty consistently through that final stretch last year and, and sometimes beyond 200 yards together um and then you've got that tight end room we talked about those names khalil dinkins uh, that third guy but theo johnson and tyler warren are the headliners total for that room, nine receiving yards on one catch for the day. So you're getting a, a performance from the, or I guess I should say, production from the running back room that is less than we may have anticipated. Tight end production that was far less than we may have anticipated when you projected for week one. And yet a comfortable victory, a 325-yard passing performance from Drew Aller. And, and Mark, this is where I want to bring you in the conversation because if this is going to be status quo and they're going to be able to dip into the receiver room like this in the passing right. game, and by the way, Malik McLean, I believe he was on the field for 10 pass plays. He had four catches for 38 yards. Or, I'm sorry, four catches for, for 58 yards, I think it was, and a touch. Uh, so that is a highly efficient day for a guy who just worked his way in uh, this year from Florida State. So no Amari Evans, and yet you're getting these kind of results. A lot to like about that. Yeah, and that's kind of my point, what, what I was saying about Juricic and the coaching staff. What, was, what were the key questions about this offense going into the season? Right. I mean, quarterback and wide receiver. And and now all of a sudden, I mean, li listen, I, I, I don't care what the stats say. And I, I think we're kind of all on the same page here. Mm -hmm. Their running backs are going to be just fine. Their yeah. tight ends are going to be just fine. It, it, I, I think it's a much better sign that they came out of this game getting that distribution spread out among a bunch of their different receivers. And, and now, you know. I don't have I do have the numbers right here in front of me, but it's a little dark, so I'm not sure if I could read them all. But you know, not all those guys had seven catches or four catches or whatever. You had uh yeah, Liam Clifford with two catches, Cephas with one, uh yeah, Mega with one, Singleton with one, and Malik McLean, four targets, four catches. My point being they were they they did spread it around. And what's one thing that we've seen in this program? kind of the last few years then that when the offense gets stagnant you know the quarterback would kind of zero in on one receiver 
Yeah, whether you know whether it was Dotson or, or or KJ, I mean, and, and I think the fact that that they did were able to spread it around to those receivers because that was a question mark. I mean, it was a question mark is as early or as late as last week we were still asking about it. And then when we see, you know, Amari Evans isn't going to be available. Well, we I guess we kind of figured that out. I guess we didn't know for sure he wasn't going to be available uh, with the with the pregame report. And that Liam Clifford was going to start. I mean, Liam's one guy that we mentioned in the VIP notes is, is somebody who kind of flashed for them. Now, he didn't actually get the start because they started in 12 personnel with Warren and, uh, and Theo. But he played probably more snaps than we expected. And, and he did well when he was in there. And going back to what Daniel said, yeah, we hadn't seen that middle screen uh, the last several years. But when did we see it? We saw it in the scrimmage. Remember that? I mean, it's something that's the kind of thing that we can't report. Uh, because out of, uh, you know, just our kind of our agreement with them is that we don't want to give away X's and O's. So we have the access, but that was something that we did see in practice. And it was funny because we're sitting in their press box and I think Daniel actually called that. It's like, I think they could do that. So I think the fact that they were able to get those pieces going in what was a, a pretty competitive game for most of the game, I think that was a really good thing. And I think from Theo to Keandre Lambert and speaking with us, they'll tell you they don't really care about the the number of targets that comes. They just want to see this passing offense flourish and they want to see it answer any questions that might be out there. Uh, And and as we said on the postgame podcast, you could see this tight end room go for 160 combined yards and three touchdowns against Delaware and their receiver room take a back seat. But one thing I'll point out, because we're going to be doing a lot of this kind of comparative analysis, I think, and just doing as much as we can looking back at the last four years of quarterback play versus what Penn State has right now. Sean Clifford went 325 plus passing yards with three touchdowns or more and an inter- and without an interception only once in his career. So 325 yards, three touchdowns, zero picks. Uh, that happened against Maryland back in 2021. Um, and, and on that particular day, Jahan Dotson had 240 receiving yards. So he accounted for a large majority of Sean Clifford's work through the air. It was one of the more impressive singular performances that I have ever seen in a passing attack, what Jahan Dotson did that day down in College Park. But evidence that Drew Aller's first start, he goes 325, three touchdowns, no touchdown, uh, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and really doesn't need to rely on the ground game, doesn't need to lean on that tight end room. And, and you just wonder what that means for when we get into October and November and, and the tasks become a little bit more daunting with some of these matchups. Uh, Daniel, as we you know shift over to the defensive side of the football, we talked about it before on the postgame podcast. Not a bunch of fireworks from this unit. You didn't see the, the sacks piling up. I thought Garrett Green did a nice job getting the ball out and also just getting himself out of the pocket and out of danger at times. But overall, as this game wore on, it didn't feel like the defense was really in much danger of, of letting up major plays. I thought overall the um, the umbrella that is this defensive backfield at the top of things really just kept things buttoned up and, and kept you out of some scary moments against uh, West Virginia. They were able to have some success on the interior, attacking the center of this defense at times. But I thought that force them at safety showed up and did it, they looked exactly how you thought they might. Yeah, Johnny Dixon stepping up in the slot more often because no Daquan Hardy, but that meant Cam Miller had his opportunity to validate the preseason praise, and I thought he did. So, look, I think you, you want to see more explosiveness in the front seven. You want to see them fill the stat sheet. They will have those days, but I think we got to address it. We didn't really do much of a job on it on the preseason uh, pod, uh, postseason podcast, geez, post-game podcast, but let's do it now. That secondary, I thought, showed up and looked the part. 
the more that I thought about the defensive performance yesterday and in, in the aftermath of the game, the the more that it kind of reminded me of more of a, a Brent Pry defensive performance. You know, I think last year under Manny Diaz, we saw that explosiveness. We saw the turnovers. The pass rush really got going later in the season with Adisa Isaac rounding in the form, Chop Robinson, Abdul Carter. Um, but I thought that what we saw against West Virginia was you know kind of what we saw before, where teams would move the ball a little bit, but then the drives just wouldn't end with points. Um, so you know, I think that over time it'll look a little bit different um, as it goes on. You know, maybe when you're playing a little bit of a less mobile quarterback, um, you know, there's that one snap uh, that I think I showed both of you the replay where denied Dennis Sutton. I mean, maybe he was a little offside, but he was he almost took the snap basically. He, he read it so well and had such a great jump, but Garrett Green just moved a little bit and the blocker came up uh, and chopped an eye. So, you know, I, I think that we'll see that round in the form. I think that you know, Garrett Green did a little bit more uh, than some of us were, were expecting. But, you know, I think looking at the secondary, you know, the ability to mix and match, the ability to rotate players, um, I think it was really on display again. The versatility with Johnny Dixon moving inside and that ability for him to play both outside and inside. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how much more run Cam Miller gets. Um, you know, who knows if we'll get an answer on what Daquan Hardy's status is from James Franklin this week. Probably not. Um, but if that continues, you know, it, Cam Miller will be someone to keep a little bit of a closer eye on. But I think the one guy from the secondary that I'm really going to be watching moving forward is probably Jalen Reed. Uh, we saw him playing in the box a lot, um, especially when they had the seven defensive backs on the field. Um, you know, he would always be up near the line of scrimmage. Um, and then I think that the one thing that showed the the uh, the depth of this defense and, and the talent in that secondary was that fourth and two. Um, you know, West Virginia in the fourth quarter is driving. Um, you know, it's fourth and short yardage. And I think I remarked, I was like, why are they keeping the seven defensive backs out there? Um, you know, based on what West Virginia had done uh, the the whole time, it, it looked like a complete mismatch. West Virginia helped them with a, a questionable play call, but they put all those guys, you know, seven guys on the line. Um, you know, I think five of the defensive backs were up there uh, and they got back there. Johnny Dixon, you know, made the initial hit. Abdul Carter cleaned it up. Um, but there's some really talented, hungry defensive backs. Um, you know, we got to see uh, some good run from KJ Winston, um, you know, with what we've heard from him, you know, potential breakout guy this year, he'll be exciting to watch. Um, and then I think to touch on Keaton Ellis, you know, I think that he really provides just a really, really solid play um, on the back end. He had that really nice downhill uh, tackle. I think it was a tackle for loss on a screen pass. Um, that's something too that I really like about these corners and these safeties is that their ability to read those types of plays uh, and to make plays behind the line of scrimmage in the short passing game. Um, I think that could be something that that really helps Penn State down the line. But, you know, we've heard so much about the secondary. I think that was, you know, a lot of excitement to see it finally in action. And you know, I do think, you know, no interceptions or anything like that. But I do think they delivered uh, what we were expecting to see. We, we spent a lot of time uh, in the offseason trying to you know, address what the season was going to look like. We kept saying, well, Keaton Ellis started all 13 games last year, but Jalen Reed didn't start any games, actually played more snaps than Keaton Ellis. Well, Keaton Ellis did not start. He's a team captain. He did not start on Saturday night, but he played more snaps than starter K.J. Winston. So that's what this room is going to be. It doesn't really look into who's out there at first, but it's really about 
scheme and setup because as you mentioned when you go with seven defensive back personnel safeties are playing a huge role out there in the field you got Jalen Reed up you got two guys back deep as the only defensive backs deep in that fourth and two scenario like you said Um, and and one thing may have been lacking some size but man when that ball was snapped on fourth and two West Virginia trying to pull off a trick play. Good luck. So much speed cruising towards that football when you watch that Prowler package put in work. It was really something to see. And Abdul Carter, I'll note, he was part of two separate pressure moments. He picked up the – it was credited with the sack on that fourth and two failed uh, attempt by West Virginia. But him and Adiza Isaac also teamed up on a key pressure of green that led to an errant pass and and was another turnover on down. So Abdul Carter didn't wreck it uh, with a bunch of tackles, but he had a sack. He had uh, another key pressure. So – he did make his presence known. Uh, Mark, what stood out to you about this defensive group in our first 60 minutes of action seeing them? Yeah, you know, I'd like to go back to Keaton L. Well, first of all, Curtis Jacobs, I thought, just played extremely well. They moved him all over the field. I think he had eight tackles in the first half and really set a tone. When Abdul wasn't, uh, you know, racking up the tackle numbers, maybe we thought, you know, I think uh, I think Curtis Jacobs was able to move around. I thought Kobe King played well at linebacker as well. But I think Keaton Ellis is a really important guy for this team. And I think it's important to note that from my perspective, the reason he doesn't start is because he's very versatile. And, you know, you could have K.J. Winston back there, uh, you know, as a safety, but you could really play Keaton in a lot of different areas. And he's very comfortable playing in those, those areas. But you're also looking at a team captain and a 50-year guy. And the fact that this guy, his ego is not so big that he demands to start. Because I bet you if he made an issue of it, that they would start him. But I, but that's not him. I'm not suggesting he ever would do that. Having known him forever, uh, that's not the kind of kid that he is. But I think the message that sends when you're on this kind of team with the depth they have, that you have a senior captain who is coming uh, – quote unquote coming off the bench because as you noted I mean you did a, your your great job on your snap report uh you know 36 snaps the second most of any of the safeties I, I just think that sends a great message to the rest of the defense that what are they worried about they're worried about getting the best players out there and having them out there at the right times and I think we saw kind of the same thing at defensive end didn't we I mean where uh, you have uh, deny, de- deny Dennis Sutton doesn't start, but you know he ends up playing the second most snap of snaps of any of the DNs. And this, I don't, yeah, that, that's a big, it's a big gap. I just want to point out 15 more snaps than Adiza Isaac, who got the start. And Adiza Isaac then in turn had two more snaps than Zariah Fisher. There was no Amin Vanover, yeah. so this was a very apparent situation where deny Dennis Sutton is being viewed as one of the most important five to seven defensive players in terms of how much he was out there on the field Saturday. Right. But also, I also, I don't think that's a knock on Adisa, you know, again, I I think, I think it's a fact that when you get into the fourth, third and fourth quarter of these games, or when you get into October and November, you want these guys to be as fresh as possible. I mean, Adisa is a guy who has struggled with injury issues if you're in this kind of game and, 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 and you don't have to snap him quite so much and you're still being effective, I think that's a good thing. And I think the fact that he's another captain is – and, and if you talk to him, he's okay with – he's good. He's good with his role. And I just think that is so important because, you know, we're in an age where guys want to come in and start immediately – and if they don't at a lot of schools, they're transferring out. At Penn State, you have these veteran guys 
who are willing to, to do whatever it takes to win. So we can talk X's and O's. And from my perspective, if there was a disappointment on defense, it wasn't that they forced any turnovers. But again, game one, I mean, we're nitpicking. But I think those little things are the sign of a defense that has an opportunity to be really, really, really good. And then the fact that they were able to over do what they do, effectively give up one touchdown. We could nitpick all we want, but you, 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 were, you were without a guy who was effectively a starting defensive tackle in Izzard. You're out with your slot corner in, uh, in Daquan Hardy, and you're out your, your fourth or fifth best defensive end in a mean Vanover. And you're still able to play at the level that you played. I think that was a good thing. So I think as you're watching the game and Green is scrambling around out there, causing everybody nightmares, I think he's going to do that for a lot of different teams. Uh, sometimes it's hard to, to, to take that big picture look. But at the end of it, when the defense gives up seven points, the defense gives up seven points. I think that defensive line group is the one spot on the field I want to see again. I'm, I'm most anxious to get a second look at because we only saw them go eight deep uh, with, with roles here. I mean, uh, Jameel Lyons got involved very late. He was credited with one defensive snap, the freshman out of Philadelphia at defensive end. Then you had eight guys go 25-plus snaps between defensive tackle and defensive end. We know they can go with more guys. I mean, Amin Vanover and Kazai Izzard are two more right away. Um, two, ta- two total tackles for loss, no sacks from this unit. It's a game-by-game game basis, and, and that includes the matchup and what you're asking your defensive line to actually accomplish. But this is the group that, that I want to get eyeballs again as quickly as possible. Daniel, where do you stand? You know, what, what are you going to be looking toward? I guess take defensive line off the table and special teams. We'll talk about the kicker in a moment because Mark's got to chime in there. But when we get back on the practice field, but more so Saturday at noon when, when Delaware comes to town, where do you want to see position you know, take the next step in, in week two? I think it'll be interesting to see what the what the linebacker group looks like a little bit. I mean, we established that you know, Curtis Jacobs, I thought, had a really great game. But I think that against Delaware, I want to watch Kobe King a little bit closer. Um, you know, I remarked to you guys that you know, he really does look slimmer um, out there in the middle of that defense. I think that earlier in his career, he kind of was that stereotypical middle linebacker, you know, a little bit more of a, a boxier frame. Um, but yeah, I think I thought that he was moving well. Um, and then, you know, next to him, you know, Abdul Carter. I mean, we talked about a couple of the plays that that he made that, you know, had an impact with with the hurries and getting into the backfield. But, you know, I want to see kind of a, a little bit more of a, a complete performance from him. Um, you know, it seemed like there were times where he was around the ball a little bit, um, but it didn't exactly come, you know, the play didn't come through. So I'm yeah. A linebacker is something where over the course of a game kind of gets lost in the shuffle because it's in the middle uh, there. But, you know, I want to see what King and, and Carter, uh, you know, a little bit closer look at them, you know, in, in live game action. Um, and then, you know, I do want to get to a situation where you know, we see Tony Rojas out there, um, you know, for extended run, um, you know, not necessarily when when the game is in doubt, but when there's like still a rhythm to the game. Um, and everything and and, an opposing offense still in rhythm so that's kind of you know where we are right now Um, I I think especially on the defensive side of the ball that that pops into my head maybe what stood out to me at linebacker more than anything doing the the game snaps I I thought it was interesting that 
Dom Toluca and Kobe King played the same amount of defensive snaps on Saturday night. Uh, I mean, we saw Curtis Jacobs for a stretch go back over to the will position, which is where he entered last season as a starter, then go back home to Sam. Uh, Dom DeLuca was the next man up in that Sam role, as we've known he would be. But 30 snaps for DeLuca here, That would, if, if this is something that's even going to come close to sustaining, that's going to be a major jump. Again, he was just below 200 total defensive snaps last season as a backup linebacker. Jonathan Sutherland's out of the equation now. And, and Daniel, I, I think when you look at, at, at Kobe King, five tackles in 30 snaps. I mean, th that's production. And he was very productive last year. He was essentially matched tackle production with uh, Tyler Elston while playing 40%, 35% of the snaps at middle linebacker. So I'm with you. I want to see what it looks like for Kobe King when he gets up to 40, 45 snaps. He said he told, told me afterwards he felt very comfortable in being the guy who's bringing that message from Manny Diaz, relaying it to his uh, defensive teammates, first time being the number one Mike linebacker. But it was a bit of a soft opening, I guess you could say, because of that snap count. Yeah, well, yeah one other thing I would say about Dom DeLuca is that we saw him in another way that it was kind of a, a throwback to more of a, a Brent Pry type of game is that you know, it felt like that he was lined up in, in the slot a lot, you know, that right. they had him out wide uh, in space. You know, I think like I don't really think we saw the you know, your classic nickel defense uh, very often. I think the only time that we saw Johnny Dixon move to the slot was when they went, you know, to had multiple safeties on the field and went to that six, seven defensive back package. You know, there wasn't, you know, a time where Cam Miller ran on and then Dom DeLuca uh, ran off. So yeah, I thought that was something that, that stood out to me a little bit. Um, I don't know if that's a, you know, if Daquan Hardy is back, that looks different um, at that point. But that was something that stood out to me too, because, you know, there are some, some key junctures in the game where you look down and, you know, number zero is out there uh, in space. Uh, I think Curtis Jacobs was out there in space a couple times. Um, you know, there was definitely a lot of mixing and matching with the linebackers uh, that I don't really think that we saw as much of that, you know, last year or expected to see as much of that coming into this year. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Mark, it feels like a lot longer ago, but it's only been six days since you sat on this podcast and, and pointed to the place kicker situation as your primary concern. Uh, two field goals later before intermission and in a very short span, Sanders Zahedak puts himself more than on the hot seat. He puts himself on the sideline. Alex Felkins checks in, handles an extra point, handles a 25-yard field goal in the second half. When you win by 23, you don't walk away too freaked out about the kicking situation, but when you know what you have lying ahead and you're not going to be able to build these comfortable cushions week in, week out, man, this is just one of those, uh, what we refer to as a thorn in the side of a nice start for Penn state. Yeah, it, it was, it was tough to see. I mean, you know, we're, we, we, we want to be as objective as possible, but you know, I, I think no matter who you're watching, when you see a kid in his first start as a kicker, kind of go through that it's tough i think penn state is very fortunate that it was able to go out and get falcons that if this is a consistent issue with sanders Sahadak, that you have another option but i would say let's not overreact just yet even though i love overreacting it's one of my favorite things <laughs> uh to do and I, I posted this on twitter just because and i don't know what what caused me to think of it maybe it was because i saw sam ficken in the parking lot before the game. Uh, but it occurred to me that back in 2012, they were at Virginia and poor Sam Ficken, and it was his second year and, and he went one of five and missed an extra point and I, in a 17, 16 loss. And I remember being on the field at the end of that game next to Bill O'Brien's wife. And I think that was probably the last time she ever was on the field at the end of a game. And he missed a potential game-winning field goal. And the reason I say that is because, listen, with kickers, you don't know what's going to happen. But to Sam Ficken's credit, he was able to turn things around, ends up making the second most field goals in Penn State history, including some unbelievable clutch game winners. So I don't think anybody ought to be giving up on Sanders Sahadak just yet. But obviously, he's going to have to get the job done. And, you know, he, he won the job in the preseason. He must have been doing some things well. We had heard, and James Franklin has since repeated it, that it was a very close battle. But, you know, this is big boy football. And if you don't get the job done, they have the ability to turn to somebody else. And, and, and they did in this game. So it's going to be interesting to see. But I just hope for the kids' sake that he's kind of able able to pull out of it. And, you know, one other thing I would say is that it wasn't just Sanders Sahadak on special teams. I mean, I thought overall, as well as they played generally, you know, I thought you had situations where um, you had Saunders fair catch a, a, a kick where he shouldn't have fair caught it. You had Riley Thompson shank a, shank a punt when the game was still a game. You had Nick Singleton bring one out, which I'll, I'll take my chances with that. He only got to the 19-yard line, but I'll take my chances with that. And then you had the whole thing with, with Cam Miller, you know, how whatever happened exactly there, it shouldn't have happened that, that Saunders got run into. So you had a bunch of different things on special teams. And again, maybe they were so clean in so many aspects of the game, no, no turnovers, one penalty, that maybe all these issues on special teams just, you know, stood out even more by perspective, but they have to get, it's not just Sanders Sahadak. They have to get all of that stuff buttoned down moving forward. I don't think it's going to be a huge issue this week, but you know, from that point on, 
you better have these things in line because not every game is going to be a 23-point game. And, and these close games could be coming sooner rather than later. You never know who's going to play well when you're on the road. You don't know what's going to happen. You need to get this stuff buttoned up. You made a great point, by the way. We, we've discussed a bunch of names, a bunch of numbers on these two podcasts since the game went final, but really needs more attention. A zero in the turnover department in week one with the new starting quarterback and, and then only one penalty for five yards. I mean, look across college football in week one, and there's a lot of laundry flying on the field. So I know that's something they were particularly proud of as a coaching staff to avoid penalty issues. And that's one of the cleanest games that I've seen out of Penn State at any point. To do that in week one, it really says a lot. Uh, we've got a lot coming up at lines247.com. Tuesday, James Franklin back at the podium for his uh, weekly press conference. We've got practice access on Wednesday. VIP report coming out of that on the field. We'll have players uh, and coaches as well. A ton coming for our VIP subscribers. We'll have a lot of recruiting. We'll talk about that in just a second with Tyler Calvaruso. But, Mark, time is of the essence. Kickoff weekend is passed, but our kickoff deal is still available. Give our listeners the lowdown before we switch gears and, and get into recruiting with Tyler. Yeah, I'll, I, listen, I'll just tell people, if you have an opportunity, go to our front page and check out the recruiting roundup that Tyler put together, and it's links to all of our VIP stories. And it just gives you a good perspective of the amount of VIP recruiting coverage that is coming out at this time of year. So you can get in on the deal for 50% off. I'm telling all our monthly people, you can upgrade to annual at 50% off, and you're going to save yourself a bunch of money. And I would also say that I think this pre in the preseason that led up to the opener that the three of us picked up our game with respect to Penn State team VIP coverage as well. So I think it's well worth your money. You're supporting a local business, and we really appreciate all the subscribers that we have. But if you want to help us keep growing and doing what we're doing, that's a good way to do it, and you get a lot of good info for 50% off our annual rate. It comes out to less than 15 cents per day. A lot going on on the site right now. Got snap count analysis up here on a Monday morning. I know Daniel's working his way uh, through a second look at this matchup. He'll have some VIP notes up on the board. A lot happening. And, and don't worry, about every five minutes, it seems, there's a recruiting update from Brian Donor, Steve Wolfong, or Tyler Calvaruso. So that's always underway. Gentlemen, I'll see you very soon. I'll see you at Beaver Stadium on Tuesday. Thanks, yeah. Tyler. All right. Uh, from two of my Lions 24-7 colleagues to another, Tyler Calvaruso hops on with us right now. And Tyler, while... Myself, Daniel, and Mark were seated alongside each other in Beaver Stadium deep into Saturday night. You were working the phones and hearing about what went down in Happy Valley from a recruiting perspective. You've got a ton of coverage over at lines247.com as we just teased. So does Brian Doan. So does Steve Wolfong. What an event to open the season for Penn State. Yeah, I mean, you said it best, man. It's like every five minutes there's something new popping up coming out of this season opener, and that's obviously a really good thing for Penn State. That's what they wanted to come up this weekend. You know, there are a lot of people inside of Lash who are very happy with the way that things played out, not just on the field, but in terms of what a, what the recruits were able to experience while they were in town. That was a hell of an atmosphere on Saturday night, and that has been the sentiment from every single recruit. It's honestly – probably one of the better atmospheres I've experienced since I joined the Penn State beat in terms of recruit feedback and the way those guys really felt the energy. It was something that it wasn't a whiteout, but a lot of the guys felt guys who have visited for whiteouts in the past felt that it rivaled the whiteout atmosphere. And I think that's saying something. So this has been, it was an overall productive weekend for Penn State. I, I think they, uh, they helped themselves with some of the priority 25s and they definitely knocked it out of the park with some 26s as well. So all in all positive feedback on that front so far. 
I can tell you, man, just just having feet on campus here in the stadium. Mark, myself, and Daniel were inside Beaver Stadium uh, a few hours before kickoff, before the fans got in, you know, went up toward the top of the stadium, just looked out around campus. And, I mean, you could just detect the buzz driving into campus and walking into the stadium. People are really – Pushing all in, uh, you know, uh, with this program right now for this 2023 team. There's a lot of, you know, generationally, whether it's current students or recent graduates or some of the older people of Mark Brennan's generation, they're saying, hey, this might be the team. Let's jump on the bandwagon right now. And I think that's part of the the buzz and the vibe that these recruits were picking up. And, and Tyler, when we talk about some of these marquee guys, you always think about in-state. And I know we wanted to start there. Brady O'Hara is a really intriguing athlete in the 2024 class or 2025 class out of Pittsburgh. We've seen him on the camp circuit, a guy labeled as a tight end for a while. We've shifted him over to the athlete department in our 2025 rankings at 24 seven sports, where he is a four-star prospect. What is the latest on him? I think he's been to campus at least 100 times here in 2023. You know, it's kind of more of the same. And I would say that's a good thing in for Penn state in that regard. I mean, the feedback is just consistent from O'Hara. He gets more and more comfortable every time he makes it to campus, he gets more comfortable with the staff, gets more comfortable with just overall what the program has to offer. And I Saturday night gave him the chance to get comfortable with what a raucous environment inside Beaver stadium is like. And again, we've been saying where this one is trending for a while. It's definitely still going that way. And O'Hara is going to be back for the whiteout against Iowa. And beyond that, I mean, he doesn't have any other visits scheduled and it's not, he's not really seeking out other visits at other programs. So I think that's pretty telling about where his interest lies and where his recruitment might be heading. So definitely the arrow continues to point upward between Penn state and O'Hara. I think, you know, maybe by the time the whiteout comes around, he's ready to roll. We'll see, you know, that's something that he's not really prepared to rush into. He's going to make a decision when he's comfortable, but I mean, there's just been a lot of really good things going for Penn state in this recruitment. You can say the same when it comes to Michael Carroll, an offensive lineman from Central Bucks East in the state of Pennsylvania. He picked up an offer uh, following a camp appearance this summer. He's the son of a former Nittany Lions football player, and he was on campus as well to watch the Nittany Lions while of West Virginia. You know, I think when Michigan offered Carroll at the end of July, with the way he was kind of publicly praising the Wolverines and expressing his excitement about that offer on social media, and rightfully so, I mean, it's a primetime Big Ten offer. I think maybe some people thought the pendulum, you know, shifted a little bit towards Michigan, but I don't think Penn State ever necessarily relinquished its spot at the top after it offered following a really good whiteout camp performance in June. I don't think Penn State ever really moved off that top spot for Carroll. The margin might have narrowed a little bit, and his interest in Michigan is most definitely legitimate. There's no doubt about that, but I've caught up with people familiar with his recruitment who feel that coming out of this weekend, Penn State has continued to build its lead and kind of separate itself from the field for Carroll. Again, kind of like what I just said with O'Hara. Every time he gets back, he gets more comfortable with the staff. He's more comfortable with his surroundings, and Penn State is a place that he could see himself. And then one again, one of those other guys who's not in a rush, so I wouldn't anticipate anything soon. But Penn State looking good for Carroll right now. I'm interested to see how things play out throughout the fall because he's still got offers rolling in. He got an offer from West Virginia on Friday night, so his offer list is still developing. His visit plans are still developing. So it'll be interesting to see what comes about on that front throughout the fall if he makes it back to Michigan or anything of that nature. But Penn State can feel good about where it's at with Mike Carroll right now. 
sticking with offensive line here briefly, I know that we spent a lot of time here talking about targets and, and uncommitted guys coming off of game days. And, and by the way, you can expect the Tyler Calvaruso on each Monday uh, on the podcast following these home games as, as we get the intel coming out of these matchups. But in this instance, we've really got to place some significant focus on one of those commits. Uh, a lot of them were around and, and many of them in that 2024 class, of course. But in 2025, Jalen Matthews, a guy who plans to get out and about, see some of the college football heavyweights. Well, he was back in Happy Valley in what the Nittany Lions hope will be his future college football stadium in Beaver Stadium. Matthews considered the uh, number 11 overall offensive tackle, top 150 prospect in the 2025 rankings out of Tom's River, New Jersey. How important was it for Penn State to make sure that he was back here this past Saturday? What's next? Because you're just a few weeks away from going uh, to his high school and really getting the intel on what his recruitment is going to look like moving forward. And it's a bit complicated. You know, it, it was honestly huge to get him back in town over the weekend, cause, mostly because he hadn't been to campus for a while. You know, he wasn't at Lash Bash at the end of July with all the other 2024 commits. That kind of raised some eyebrows from fans. You know, what's going on with him? He's not at the biggest recruiting event of the summer. Where is he at with his commitment? And getting him back to campus and getting him in that environment, it, it was a big deal for Penn State. And I think that with Matthew set to come back, again for the whiteout at the end of the month it's another really big deal because just the more you get him around and the more you get him around these 2024 commits it works in Penn State's favor you know he gets more comfortable with those guys who could be his potential future teammates at the next level he you know kind of gains some insight into what they're thinking why they're so sold on Penn State and the staff's vision for the program and I think considering the fact that Matthews told me earlier not even earlier this month it's not in August anymore last month that he was planning on taking a pair of SEC visits this fall. I, I think being around those Penn State guys, guys who are locked in with the Nittany Lions, you know, that gives him something to think about as he visits elsewhere. Because those guys, you know, they're, they've been doing peer recruiting for months. And Matthews is a guy that, you know, they know is a big part of that 25 class. So they've had plenty to say to him about what Penn State has going on and why Penn State is the place for him, as has the staff. And that kind of goes without saying. James Franklin has continued to prioritize Matthews. Phil Trotwin has continued to prioritize Matthews. They know this is a battle, and it's one that they're prepared to fight. I'd say they've been doing a pretty good job of it so far. Matthews, he's going to get out, and he's going to make his visits elsewhere. You know, that's just how this recruitment is going to play out. But he's committed until he isn't committed anymore, right? I think Penn State has been doing a pretty good job of, you know, giving him reason to stay on board. He's liking what he's seeing out of the Nittany Lions right now from an on-field perspective. And, hey, look, I mean – if they continue to play the way they did against West Virginia, I think he's going to keep liking it. And, and Penn State with three guys in that class right now for 2025, and Matthews, Keandre Barker, who's a four-star running back uh, out of Texas, and then defensive back Omari Gaines, also out of New Jersey. And, and when we look at, at – at, there's a lot of irons in the fire for New Jersey in this 2025 class. So the more you can maybe feel like you've got arguably the best prospect in that state fully committed to you, and, and you're not going to feel that way while he's visiting elsewhere, but you can get him closer to that point helping you, you know, corral some of those own Garden State recruits for some trips to campus in the future. It all starts to add up. So a, a good momentum builder there in the case of Jalen Matthews. Uh, and now I know there's another offensive lineman you wanted to get to up at Avon Old Farms in Connecticut. We know Penn State's had a pretty good track record of late and bringing in some big fish from New England. Uh, what do we need to know here? You know, this kind of has been trending Penn State's way for a little bit. And he got his offer during the spring. It was something that immediately caught his eye because he liked with the I didn't get, I didn't give a name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't. Jeez. See, I'm, I'm just 
I'm all over the place, man. Oh, and Alessine, you know, that, that, that's the guy that we're talking about in this situation. And he, when his offer came in from Penn State, he told me, you know, he really likes Phil Trotwin and the way he develops his offensive linemen, really just how he goes about coaching his guys. He made it back to Penn State. You know, he was at that last bash at the end of July, and he took part in the mini camp before last bash. And I think that gave him a little bit more familiarity with Trotwin in terms of how exactly he goes about coaching up his players and what it's like to develop under him, you know, taking those coaching points throughout the camp. And I think that, you know, really where Alessandro is at at this point in his recruitment, Penn State is sitting in a pretty good spot. You know, he's someone who has moved up the staff board as well, you know, with it, with that really strong performance at the mini camp, he, he opened some eyes in that regard. And I think that he's going to be getting back to campus again soon. And really we're, we have a recruitment where it's not necessarily regional considering he's from New England, but he's close enough so he could get back to campus with regularity because he likes this staff and he wants to keep getting comfortable with them. So his recruitment is definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward as the fall develops. You know, where Again, where else is he going to be visiting? That's something we're going to have online 24-7 shortly. But he's a name to know when it comes to 2025 targets that tackle. That frame really stands out. I mean, six seven, the length. You're gonna to need to fill that out with, with some weight. But he's only halfway through high school at this yeah. point, so I'm curious to see what he'll look like when he shows up to campus. He could be one of those guys that you say, if he can get it together fundamentally, he may be able to to help us pretty early in his career. Um, and with Alessine, by the way, number 33 overall offensive tackle in 24/7 Sports rankings. And I'll make one more note about these New England guys. Look across the region, the whole Northeast of college football right now. I mean. Where's the destination Saturday is taking place? I mean, it makes a lot. I, I know it's it's hard to hear maybe for some people in our campuses. I went to one of those campuses, but Penn State's within driving distance. You look even down into the mid-Atlantic. Where do you want to go watch football games on Saturdays if it's you're true. a covered recruit? Unless you want to get on a plane or unless you want to get in the car for 10, 12 hours to go into another conference territory, this is really the show. I mean, you want to go a little bit further west, a few hours further west, you get out to Ohio. But Happy Valley – Penn State, they're in a good position from that angle, I think, in terms of attracting talent. They've got a huge destination matchup coming up September 23rd, of course, against uh, against Iowa. And then they've got Michigan coming to town later in the season. But this was a great way to start from a recruiting perspective. And let's jump into another name, another guy who impressed us on the camp circuit this summer, Jadon Blair. Big frame safety out of North Carolina. And we talked about it. They're cooking with a lot of good ingredients right now at that safety position. They've got an All-American, uh, a former All-American, a former NFL player as the coach of that room and Anthony Poindexter. They got four guys they really like right now. They're developing a couple recent top 24-7 prospects in Dakari Nelson and King Mack. But you're always hunting for the next name out there. And Jadon Blair, one of the big fish in the 2025 class at this position. That big frame is something that Penn State really likes about Blair. You know, he's tall, he's long, and he really showcased all of that at the whiteout camp. Despite, he told me he was working through some multiple nagging injuries that day, and he was still able to go out there and put on a pretty good showing for Anthony Poindexter and the rest of the staff that was watching him. And he originally was looking to get back for the whiteout. Visit wound up happening this weekend, and I think it went about as well as it could have gone. For Penn State, I think it definitely continued to move the needle for him. And remember, going back to June, that whiteout camp, he told me Penn State was the only place that he really truly wanted to camp that summer. He attended a couple others, but Penn State was the one he really wanted to get to and perform for the staff. And not just perform for the staff, you know, get around town, see what State College is like, get a better of a feel for the campus. He was able to accomplish all that. Saturday was his real first glimpse 
at a game day atmosphere inside Beaver Stadium, something he was blown away by. This is shaping up to be a recruitment that looks like it's going to come down to Penn State and Notre Dame. Fighting Irish are another school that is high on his list. Now, I don't know exactly how that Notre Dame safeties board is playing out. Another top target for both programs is Ethan Long, who was also at Penn State on Saturday. So, you know, you got to see where the dominoes fall at the end of the day in terms of safety recruiting for both programs. But Jadon Blair is really high on Penn State at this point in his recruitment, and I really don't expect that to change. I think the Nittany Lions are going to be in this one until the end. Anthony Poindexter himself was one of those long safeties. They've got length on the field right now. Uh, they, they've got it brewing. Uh, Dakari Nelson, six foot three plus, with, with that with that big frame as well. Dewan Lane in a similar mode out of Gilman High School in Baltimore, committed in the twenty twenty four cycle, and uh, Jadon Blair certainly would fit that as well. Hey, let's let's stick with the safeties uh, theme because the uh, cousin of a first time starter on Saturday, KJ Winston. Also at the safety position, a four-star variety. Uh, I don't want to butcher his first name here. I know his last name is Winston. I'm going to let you say the first name, but uh, a guy that we saw on the camp circuit and, again, the cousin of KJ. Oh, you're going to put it on me, man. I'm probably going to be the one to butcher it now. You're the recruiting guy. <laughs> I know, but it's, it's still a tough name, man. You know the deal. I think Kanoa, I, Kanoa Winston. I, I need to Kanoa is where I, is what I thought it was, but I really didn't. I don't like to guess, and I, sh- I should have asked you prior to the podcast, <laughs> but we'll go with Kanoa until it's proven wrong. Um, and, and this is a heck of a talent. Top 10 safety prospect, a guy who's going to force all of us to learn his name in the years ahead. I should have asked him when I talked to him yesterday. I should have asked him just so to make sure. That was a good idea. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> next time I catch up with him, I think that's going to be at the top of my uh, priority list. And you know, when I talked to him yesterday, it, it was pretty cool because he had a unique he had a unique experience and perspective compared to every other recruit that attendance. You know, he's sitting. He had a vested interest in what was taking place on the field with his cousin out there. I mean, and that was something he told me he really, really loved. You know, being so close to the action, watching KJ go out there, get the start, make plays. He, he really, it was something that I think was pretty memorable for him. When it comes to his recruitment, Penn State just always makes Winston feel at home. That's the sentiment that he gives me every time that we talk. Hospitality is something that he mentioned to me in specific. You know, he's always greeted by coaches and he feels like he's known them for years. He's got fans telling him now Penn State's the place for him. He's got a lot of fans trying to get him to State College. So there are a lot of things he's liking about Penn State at this point in his process. And, you know, he told me he's another guy who doesn't have any fall visits lined up as of right now odds are that'll change at some point he was a top 100 defensive back in the 2025 class he's got a ton of interest from high level power five programs so i expect him to get out and check out other schools but another trip to penn state this fall is in the cards it's a possibility and if that happens i again i think it's kind of telling where things might be heading with him but winston's definitely a name to know on the back end of that secondary he's not of the bigger variety like blair is but he's got an intriguing skill set at safety um, by the way, looking long-term, 2026 class, you had Messiah Mickens who kicked off that class back on campus. I know he was excited to be in Beaver Stadium, experience what it's like to be a commit in that environment as they get started. So a lot to, to work on on the recruiting trail. Tyler Calvaruso will be keeping tabs on all of it. What do you got coming our way here in the coming days uh, leading up to the Delaware matchup? But I, I know right now it's still more about coming out of the West Virginia showcase and, 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 and the feedback from Beaver Stadium. What can our listeners expect, especially those who are – Still thinking about that 50% off deal that we have going until midnight Tuesday night. You know, we're really just still working through a lot of recruit feedback and reaction. That is still rolling in onto my phone as we speak. You know, recruits have a lot to say about their experience every time they visit. So we're going to have a bunch of articles up on that. 
we're going to get a head start on tracking down who exactly is going to be on campus for that Delaware game. It's probably not going to be as big of a recruiting event as we saw this past weekend, especially with the whiteout coming up. That's going to be a massive visitors list, one that is already coming together, and we already have a bunch of confirmations on the Lions 24-7 board, so that's something to definitely check out. We're going to be keeping an eye on who's making it to town this weekend, be tracking down how the Penn State's 2024 commits performed over the weekend. We've got a lot going on on multiple fronts, man. It's an exciting time to be a Penn State football fan, so stay tuned for sure. These are busy days. You do a great job with it. Tyler Calvaruso, appreciate all the recruiting coverage at Lions247.com. And, and here on the podcast, you'll be back with us. If not before then, you'll be back next Monday to break down what we learned about Penn State recruiting during the Delaware matchup. Thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to it. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Big thanks to my coworkers, Tyler Calvaruso, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon. Happy to be with this team for another season. My seventh season here covering Penn State, sixth with 24-7 sports. So we're off to a good start over at the site. Hop on board for that 50% deal if you haven't already. Through midnight Tuesday night after that, uh, we're back to our standard pricing. Uh, a lot to come your way this week, including a couple more episodes of this podcast. We'll be with you on Tuesday, uh, coming out of James Franklin's postgame press conference. By that point, we'll also have spoken with a few Penn State players about their week two progression. And then on Thursday, our third podcast episode of this week will be a full preview of the Delaware matchup. We'll give you all of our notes coming off the practice field Wednesday night. And of course, Saturday, a little bit earlier this time, thankfully, it's a noon kickoff. So whenever we finish up what we've got to do from a writing perspective and reporting perspective on Saturday, we're back with another postgame podcast. So that's your setup for the rest of the way here, folks. Four episodes per week. Thanks for following us uh, for the entire offseason when we were at two episodes. But we've made it. There's a lot to talk about. We will do just that. For now, stepping aside, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast.